This is Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. I'm Therese Boudreaux, and with me today is Matthew Hennessy, the deputy op-ed editor for The Wall Street Journal. Today we'll be discussing his new book, Visible Hand, A Wealth of Notions on the Miracle of the Market. Mr. Hennessy, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Therese. You can call me Matt. So your book seeks to explain basic economics to the common man. Is that correct? Yeah, my book is two things. It's that I try to uh, take some of the more challenging or frightening uh, concepts in basic economics and make them a little more palatable to people who, broadly speaking, don't like economics. There's a type of person I've noticed in this world. Uh, I'm one of them uh, who generally... Uh, shrinks at the thought of um, things like uh, having to do with money, budgeting and accounting and uh, all that kind of scary stuff. Uh, I was about 30 years old when I realized that's actually not what economics is. Uh, So I try to help other people to understand that with part of the book. And then the second half of the book, or maybe not the second half, the the, the final third of the book, is really a kind of two thumbs up for capitalism. There's an awful lot of negativity surrounding that word, and there's an awful lot of terrible things said about it, and I don't think we uh, spend enough time uh, remembering just how very good the free market has been to us, and the embrace of it has uh, is responsible for all of the um, historically unique prosperity that we see all around us in this country. So two things. I try to break down some basic economics into some simple uh, and uh, hopefully amusing um chunks, and also to give a shout out to the free market. What would you say is Adam Smith's real philosophy on market capitalism? So the main thing that people often misunderstand is is, uh, they tend to think of capitalism as a system that was invented is maybe not exactly the right word, but that Adam Smith kind of unleashed on the world that prior to 1776, which is... uh, very um, interestingly, the date of the publication of the book, The Wealth of Nations, which is generally regarded as the the ur text of uh, economics, modern economics, classical liberal economics. Uh, But before that, we lived in a different way. And uh, in a lot of uh, parts of the world, people were happy, even if they were poor. And there was a kind of an order to life that was perhaps uh, based on the rhythms of nature or the rhythms of the church, and that this was some sort of like paradise that was lost after the introduction of uh, the um, the impersonal forces of supply and demand by Adam Smith. I'm not saying that everybody thinks that thinks of it that way, but an awful lot of people do. the The error is in thinking that capitalism, or that uh, let's just call it free markets. Uh, market economics is a system, when in fact what Smith was doing was reporting on what he saw in 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 reality. It's an objective reality that he um, distilled, perhaps for the first time, and made it possible for people to understand or to uh, describe the many ways that order emerged spontaneously from the little commercial transactions and the patterns of consumption and production that um, happened on their own. So it's not an imposition in the way that some later economic systems uh, really are. You know, Marxism really did spring from the brain of Marx and Engels, and they uh, sold it to politicians who then tried to 
uh, wrangle people, wrangle their societies uh, along the, the the lines of the precepts that that the philosophers and the theorists came up with. Adam Smith is a much different character. He's more like a journalist, for my money, than he is a theorist. He simply reported on what he saw. The The Wealth of Nations is a big, scary, thick, intimidating tome. Uh, the modern brain re- is repelled by some of the, you know, the language and some of the examples obviously are uh, not... Uh, uh, but it's a wealth of wisdom. It's just, it's, there's a lot of collected wisdom there. And it's not at all uh, prescriptive in some, uh, other than he's essentially saying, hey, listen, this is what's worked. This is what people do because it works. And, and it, what it amounts to is embracing um, the, the existence, accepting the reality of market forces instead of trying to fight them all the time. Because if you try to fight them, just like trying to fight the forces of gravity, you're going to lose. And uh, history of the last 250 years or so has shown that pretty, pretty steadily and pretty irrefutably, I think. So if it's naturally based, as you say, could you expand on how do human beings affect the market? Well, the first thing to, to remember is that we all have preferences. And we're all motivated by uh, a very simple impulse, which you know, I, 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 this is not me saying this, it's just reality. Everybody is motivated by an impulse to take care of themselves and take care of their family. That's rooted in human nature from time immemorial. Um, there is no overriding human impulse to charity, let's say, or to, um, you know, uh, building systems to foster the common good or something like that. Uh, you know, at its root, in a sort of a state of nature, what do you want to do? You want to take care of yourself, you want to survive, and you want to ensure that your offspring survive and that your loved ones and your relatives survive. So we're all kind of starting from that. That's the starting point. Um, if you add in certain, you know, uh, you know, we live in the modern world, so we all have tastes and we all have preferences and we're all conditioned to expect certain things. Um, maybe that previous generations didn't have access to, but it doesn't change the fundamentals about how we go about satisfying those basic impulses, in my view. Um, uh, you wake up in the morning, you go about the business of trying to take care of your family, and you're going to very quickly encounter the root of all free market economics, which is a very simple but profound understanding that the world that the, the world we live in, that our, the lives we lead are governed by the existence of trade-offs. That is to say, we can't have everything that we want. I may want to protect my family and provide them with good stuff. I, I may want more of that good stuff than is available. So I live in an environment of scarcity, as econo- e- economists like to say. So I have to make choices. And economics at its root is the science of making choices. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be so complicated. It does get complicated. I'm aware of that. Um, but, you know, if you're the kind of person who's walking around every day thinking to themselves, gosh, when they start talking about inflation or, um, you know, uh, currency, uh, Bitcoin, the producer price index, supply chains, the Dow Jones, bonds, yields, interest rates, my brain goes numb. I just can't handle it. Um you know, you're 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 thinking of economics the wrong way, or at least not the way that I'm trying to think about it in this book. 
Um, I'm trying to, to help people understand that merely the idea of, you know, what are we going to do this afternoon or how are we going to spend the weekend is an economic choice in the sense that it involves trade-offs. If you make one choice, you're going to have to forego some other options. That's what economics is. That's the, that's the root of it. Um, so just like you wouldn't approach a, a complicated subject like physics or biology uh, in the, in the, you know, at the deep end, you wouldn't jump into the deep end and say, well, this is what physics and biology is. You start, you start in a much simpler sort of place. That's what I try to do with, with this book is to help people understand that many of the basic tenets of economics are very, very intuitive. Uh, you need not be a PhD or some sort of trained financial professional to understand them. Uh, and if you, if you do understand them or you're at least aware of them, think your life will be a lot better. You'll have an easier time navigating the world because I defy anyone to show me proof that that they can have everything that they want, that life isn't about trade-offs. You're listening to Matthew Hennessy on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. We're discussing his new book, Visible Hand, A Wealth of Notions on the Miracle of the Market. So, as you said, if economics is at its root trade-offs, do you think that government regulation has a role um, somehow in these economic trade-offs, or does that hinder the natural course of the markets? Um, it it may hinder the natural course of markets. Uh, I'm not for. I'm neither for nor against regulation. Um, uh, I, I would t- tend towards the. Uh, you know, every every regulation is uh, unhappy in its own way. I would tend toward the view that uh, the fewer government regulations, the better as a general rule. And the more uh, you layer on government interventions in the market, uh, the greater the likelihood that you're going to distort uh, outcomes and uh, the, the greater the loss will be to society. Now, having said that, someone will say, well, what about X, Y, or Z? Uh, uh, and it, you'd have to sort of address each one uh, on a case-by-case. I, I, I work for the Wall Street Journal. I work for the opinion pages of the Wall Street Journal. So it should surprise absolutely no one that my general philosophy ranges towards free people and free markets. Um, the, I, I, I believe that we've learned uh, over, over the at least the course of the last century, but maybe a cor- across the course of the entire life of the country, that um, that the American character is uh, is attracted to uh, liberty, and liberty at the large end of the at the at the at the at the at, at in its uh, in its purest form means. Uh, you know, freedom to do what you want. And uh, in, inside the economic space, uh, that's where the rubber hits the road. So the less the government involves itself in the economic decisions of free people, I think the better the outcome will be for the free people and for the government. And the unique and, and the clever thing about uh, Smith's view, Adam Smith's view of, of this, is that um, when government gets out of the way, there tends to be more uh, of uh, a benefit for government as well. Um, a growing economy, which is to say a nimble economy and a dynamic economy, one that's not smothered by regulations, caveat, of course, that occasionally the market produces uh, externalities that need to be addressed by government power. Don't deny that. Uh, but the, the, 
the more the government gets out of the way, the more the the economy is capable of producing revenue that the that the government can uh, skim for itself to pay for the things that it wants to do that it's actually really good at, uh, which is to say, keeping the streets clean, uh, protecting the borders. Um, I don't want to start a fight, but you know, educating children. Uh, if mm-hmm. if if that's uh, if that's something that you think the government is good at, you could at least admit that you know they have some some minimum level of responsibility to ensure an educated uh, citizenry. Mm-hmm. So the government is good at a few things. It's really bad at micromanaging, uh, you know, business regulations. Uh, uh, and and uh, it, it, bad isn't even really the word. It's inefficient. Um, and it, uh, it's bad for everyone when the economy is not as efficient as it can be. So I'm trying to keep things, I know this, I'm trying to keep things as simple as possible. I promised a book that wouldn't be a textbook or wouldn't, uh, be, uh, scary. But, uh, once you start d- digging into some of this stuff, you get into some <laughs> scary areas. So, uh, the short answer is, um, regulation fine as little as possible. Thank you. Switching topics slightly here. Um, in your book, when you talk about price and you say that expensive is a relative concept, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, if you've ever had a hot sauce eating competition with someone, then you, you're familiar, at least in theory, with what I'm talking about. One person <laughs> thinks uh, this bottle is uh, really spicy and someone else just drinks it like it's water. Prices are much the same. Saying something is expensive doesn't really tell you what you need to know. My son is thir- is four. No, how old is he? He's thirteen, and uh, he doesn't have any pocket change. He doesn't have any running around money. So, for him, everything that he wants to do is expensive. I have money in my pocket, but I don't want to slice a pizza or I don't want to buy a uh, a comic book. So, to me, those things are not that expensive. That's what I mean by it's relative. The point. Uh, the larger point I'm trying to make is that prices are not arbitrary things. It'd be very tempting for people to look at the world, see a lot of things that they want, and get frustrated with the idea that they can't afford them because they're too expensive. But the price of the thing that you want is not simply plucked from the air by the by uh, Macy's or uh, Exxon or Amazon or whatever the case may be. Uh, it's the product of, and this is very important, it's the product of the su- supple interplay of invisible forces, supply and demand. Um, it produces a market price that fluctuates as those invisible forces, supply and demand, uh, change. So you have to be aware of what that is, why it, uh, or how it works, at least minimally, before you can say something is expensive, saying something's expensive is like saying something spicy. It's just, it's just, uh, it just, it, it's, it's not sufficient to uh, explain uh, the, you know, what it is that we're talking about. The prices, the prices are at the very heart of this whole business. So uh, there's a little island off the east coast of England uh, called Lindisfarne, I think, and it's. It's one of these islands that's accessible at low tide, but not at high tide. So the local people, it's like a holy island where people go to pray. So they go on pilgrimage. So the people there over generations have constructed a kind of a system of poles in the sand that you can see. 
as the water is is rising so you can find your way even though the island often often gets lost in the mist and this is a good metaphor for what prices are they help people navigate in the markets that they participate in without the full without it without having to know for instance how much it costs to make a cell phone uh, or to you know all of the inputs the, the the aggregate costs of all the inputs markets are like buoys on a lake or like those uh, those poles on the pilgrim uh, the pilgrim's route to Lindisfarne they help you to navigate they help you to find your way when you're otherwise incapable and most of us are otherwise incapable of figuring out what's going on in the economy the prices are that visible they make the invisible visible they help us to make economic choices in an environment of scarcity when life is about trade-offs and we can't have everything we want. And finally, related to prices and the current market, what are some causes of inflation, especially what we're seeing today? Well, a very wise man uh, once said that inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. And so uh, in the current environment, I think you can lay the blame uh, on uh, interest rates that have been so low for so long that they're essentially negative, uh, which means that the price of borrowing money is um, upside down. Uh, and so that that is what uh, the big bosses call a loose monetary policy and which has contributed to all sorts of distortions in financial markets. Uh, secondarily, you've got uh, um, the Biden administration last year, uh, a little over a year ago, dumped nearly two trillion dollars into the economy. So the second classic definition of inflation is too much money chasing too few goods. If you throw in the perfect storm of the pandemic, which crimped uh, supply chains, uh, allegedly, um, and the invasion of Ukraine, you have all a bunch of stuff happening all at once to drive inflation higher. Um, the big $64,000 question, or maybe it's the $128,000 question now, is whether it's going to stick around or whether it's going to fly away. The problem with inflation is that it's kind of a self fulfilling prophecy. It's as much a problem of expectations as it is of, uh, you know, what's happening at the grocery store. So people start to expect that prices will go up. They demand higher wages. You get into this kind of spiral where um, that you can't get out of it. And unfortunately, the 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 cure in, if, of, for inflation is very often much worse than the disease or even worse than the disease, which is just you got to crank that interest rate up above the inflation rate, which um increases the cost of borrowing money and send, and sort of turns that um, those price distortions in the financial markets upside down. And whereas, you know, you might be able to stabilize the price of milk in the grocery store, all of a sudden it's going to cost you twice as much or three times as much to borrow money uh, to buy a house or something like that. So people end up, uh, you, you know, you, we're all going to pay uh, very, very dearly for this current round of inflation. But uh, it's a mysterious phenomenon, but one that's happened enough times that we can't, we can't claim to be ignorant about its causes. Uh, if, you, if you flood the economy with trillions of dollars and at the same time, uh, you know, uh, something, you know, this is part of the reason why you try to run a non-inflationary uh, monetary policy and generally a you know keep your fiscal house in in order because you never know when some 
a black swan like a pandemic or uh, a madman like Vladimir Putin's going to invade his neighbor and, and throw everything into disarray. So this is the argument in favor of ye old fiscal conservatism and a sort of a sober-minded approach to uh, what old folks call the fisc, um, uh, because you never know what's going to happen. And unfortunately, I think that the future for American consumers is it's going to be a wild ride. So everybody has to buckle their seatbelts. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Matt. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Therese. You've been listening to Matthew Hennessy, the deputy op-ed editor for The Wall Street Journal and the author of his new book, Visible Hand, A Wealth of Nations on the Miracle of the Market. I'm Therese Boudreau, and this is Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM.